Welcome to the Yoga Teacher Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Ray. Yoga teacher, you are needed now more than ever, and your unique voice, message, and offering needs to be shared with the world. In this podcast, we'll talk about all things related to teaching yoga to help you thrive doing what you love most, teaching yoga. So let's dive in. with Deb Flaschenberg. I am so excited to have you on today for this amazing chat and conversation all about prenatal yoga. We're going to dive into some amazing layers. I know there's just so much to this world Mm -hmm. and you are up to so many incredible things yourself, just to name a few. You're the owner and founder of the yoga studio in New York City, Prenatal Yoga Center. Yep. And you're a prenatal yoga teacher yourself. You're a doula, a Lamaze childbirth educator, and you also lead and facilitate prenatal yoga teacher trainings. Mm -hmm. Am I missing anything? I have my own podcast is why I have this whole big old setup going on. So yeah, I have my own podcast called Yoga Birth Babies. Yes. Amazing. So we'll definitely shout that out at the end as well. Like I said, we're going to dive into a lot of the different layers within prenatal yoga, but I first just want to kick off this topic and conversation more about you and your story. And let's just start with how long have you been teaching yoga and where it all began? What inspired you to become a yoga teacher? Oh, it's been, I'm going to show my age. I've been teaching for over 20 years. I know because I'm in my forties. Um, so I started off as a singer dancer as in New York city. And I was very fortunate that right away I got a show. And while I was on tour, I had a lot of people just saying like, Oh, you have to meet this other person who does yoga. So this was like 1997. So this was like right, literally right out of, I went to the Boston Conservatory, So musical theater. So right out of school, I was really, really lucky. I got a show so quickly and I kept having people pointing me to this one person. They're like, you have to go study with Donna. You got to go study with Donna. And it ended up then I did, I was uh, doing another show and this choreographer started to use yoga as the warm up. And someone else in that show is like, oh, I know this person in New York, Donna. And I'm like, who is this Donna person? Clearly, I must study with her. Um, And she, (laughs) this was, again, like maybe 98 at this point. And she was doing Bikram. And it was in this Times Square area. And that's right near a lot of the shows. So a lot of dancers were there because it's the heat. It was great for before warming up for a show. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like my dirty yoga secret that I did the Bikram training in 2000. And during the training, I'm like, this is the wrong place for me. Like it just Mm. was not, it didn't fit well. I didn't like the man himself. I didn't jive with him. I was going to ask if, if the reasons were kind of for the obvious of like what's going on with, you know, and what has been going on. Yes and no. Like I remember everyone was like flocked around him. And I just thought there was something ultimately ridiculous about it. And people like brushing his hair and and I was walking by and like handed me a brush and I'm like, I'm not going to brush your hair. And people like, you're not going to brush his hair. And I was like, no. And what really ended up turning it for me is my dad actually had an accident and died during the training. And when I, and I was out in California for the training. And when I need to fly back to Boston, they were just really unkind about it. Like, if you leave, you can't come back. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is yoga. And you're saying I can't leave to go 
to my dad in the hospital. So I finally just said, I'm leaving. And anyway, so fast forward, I complete the training, I came back, and it was within a few months of teaching Vikram that it just felt like there was no space to look at the students and address what was actually happening to the students. And it's just a monologue and it doesn't offer deviation and it doesn't offer any individual attention. Yeah. And that was not sitting well with me. Like once I actually looked at what this was, I'm like, that's, that's not okay. Cause not all bodies are in fact, nobody is the same, you know, like nobody is the same. Yeah. And like, you can't give the same directions for everyone to assume it's going to work. Yeah. And so that really wasn't sitting well with me. And so I was talking to my mom who does marketing and she says, well, why don't prenatal yoga? People are always pregnant and they always want to take care of themselves when they're pregnant. Mm -hmm. And again, this is back in 2000 and there wasn't a lot of prenatal. And so yeah. I found one program out in Seattle and I went there and I did that program. And then I was in my twenties and I just kind of came back and hung my shingle and like, I'm going to teach prenatal. And then as I got deeper into it, I had a student, this was a turning point in my life, that I had a student who invited me to watch some births. She was doing, um, she was doing a fellowship at one of the New York hospitals. And so she told everyone I was a med student. Again, this is like so illegal in hindsight <laughs> because I was attending, like, I helped deliver a placenta. Like there's in, in looking oh back, I'm like, gosh. I had my hands on someone's vagina. Like <sighs> I shouldn't have done that. Like, wow. <laughs> but like what an experience too. I mean, I, I scrubbed in for a cesarean. I didn't end up staying the whole time because I almost passed out, but like I saw twin yeah. births, but I saw this one birth of this family. English was not their first language. In fact, I don't know if they spoke any English okay. and as a pretty dramatic birth. And after the baby came out, everybody kind of left the room for whatever reason I was left in the room. I think they kind of forgot about me. And the nurse was typing her notes and I was just standing there and the baby was in the warmer and the parents were just like, what happened? And it just made me step back and think something's really wrong with our medical system. If there's just no relationship with like, they didn't bring the baby to the mom's wow. chest. They weren't attending to her. And so I walked out just thinking what I teach in the yoga room was not reflecting what people need to be prepared for. It clicked at that time that I don't want to just teach modifications. I want to teach people to mentally and emotionally be prepared. And I want to teach them what questions to ask. And I want to teach them how to help prepare their body and their mind mm -hmm. and their birth team. And so that was a turning point when I became a doula. And then I just kept adding. And then I became a Lamaze teacher because I didn't have kids at that point. So okay. I just wanted to layer on the knowledge. And yeah. then I studied pelvic floor with Leslie Howard. So I just kept adding as much. And then I also ran away from Bikram as fast as I can. And then I've been doing Iyengar for the last maybe 15 or 16 years. And I also studied with Shiva Ray yeah. back in the early 2000s. So Which it's I interesting. Isn't she great? I really enjoyed She's that. Amazing. Yeah. I studied with her too. She was one of my first trainings when I was 19. Oh, so wow. Yeah. Many years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I think I did awesome. a training with her in maybe like 2004, 2006, something like that. Yeah. So around the same time, actually. Was um, Twee and Simon? Yeah, yeah I was in yeah, that little Twee crew. Twee <laughs> is amazing. I love Twee. She's incredible. Yeah, we did a lot together. Um, yeah. We were all at Exhale together. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that's awesome. 
So now what would you say your style of teaching is just a blend of all the different backgrounds, modalities? Yeah. You know, so I feel like I come at it from that information and knowledge of Iyengar and alignment. And then I also did a teacher training with Cindy Lee. So I have some of that. But then I also combine a lot of the sequencing. In fact, because now I teach teacher training. So Mm -hmm. I take the alignment of Iyengar, the class structure from Cindy from Om Yoga, but the sequencing, like I remember Shiva would talk about, you know, the waves and then like those pauses at the top of the map between. So a lot of my my sequencing is Shiva based about how we stack the kramas. So, you know, layering, layering it up. Yeah. That's totally what influenced that. So it's this odd combination. Then I also take the asana and think, how can we make this serve the pregnant body? So it's just, so then I take the childbirth ed aspect and I interweave how can the pose help create balance, which can hopefully help have a more functional birth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's many layers. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I want to kind of circle back because I think it's really awesome and interesting and inspirational to a lot of yoga teachers that you didn't have kids yet yourself. (laughs) No. And you became a prenatal teacher. And I've heard a lot of teachers say, like, I feel like I need to have gone through that personally to be able to relate and connect. But as a yoga teacher, you have so many tools and Mm. things to offer someone that's going through pregnancy. You don't necessarily have to have had that yourself to offer that. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, I do not think birth is a requirement for prenatal. I think I learned a lot from looking at my students and really listening to my Mm -hmm. students. Because I've had two babies, but two babies is only, that's my experience. And that doesn't relate necessarily. Yeah, there's some camaraderie that I can understand. Like there's that motherhood fatigue that many of us can just feel like raising kids is a challenge. So there might be some relationship there. But just because my two births unfolded as they did doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be how someone else has they're going to to unfold. So I think the knowledge is super helpful about the foundations. Like in our teacher training, we really cover that childbirth ed so that we have the same language and we understand the landscape of birth. And I think that can help, but really just listening and holding the space and and looking at your students, really seeing how they move. Because I feel like my students taught me how to teach them. And Mm -hmm. I love that. Because I like my body is very flexible. I was a dancer. And so the poses can look very easeful in my body because of natural flexibility, having nothing to do with really anything I do. It just it's it comes yeah. naturally for me. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I can't teach someone with tight hamstrings just because I don't really experience that myself or limitations yeah. in my hips. So I think, again, really looking at your students and seeing how they move, where things might seem imbalanced, where we can find, maybe I'm bending the knees here, maybe I'm adjusting this or whatever. I think Mm -hmm. the students really are our teachers. I love that. That's so accurate. That's so true. Because it's really, I tell this in my 200-hour YTT, you literally have to teach to learn how to teach. You have to be able to observe the people in front of you. And that is what teaches you how to teach truly. So I love that. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times I have teachers because we, once they're in our teacher training, they're teaching a lot. It's not just theoretical. And we get a lot of new teachers and they're like, eyes are closed. They're looking up. I'm like, you have to see your students. And in fact, I invite them when we do community classes 
And I love when we get what I call the loving train wrecks, like where someone comes in and they're just like, I don't know my body. That is the best gift to a teacher because sometimes the new teachers get anxious and they want to correct someone that like needs a aesthetic correction. I'm like, no, go to the person that you're scared of and dive in and, you know, try to help them find their body. Like that's the biggest gift of, all right, where do we start? Let's mold this. Yes, a hundred percent. That's also what I tell them too, is like teaching beginners will make you a really good teacher fast. Yes, yes. Because you can't just say like, inhale up warrior one. Like if a new student comes in, they don't know what that is or pull back down dog. You have to teach the poses. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So who exactly do you work with? And like what student population at what point in their pregnancy is at all points? And then within that, what are you offering and teaching them? That's a really great question. So it's all points. We okay. literally just this morning on Instagram, someone's like, I'm five weeks pregnant. I'm like, you are welcome. And then we have people that are past their due date. And they're like, I'm I'm bored. I don't know what else to do with myself. Oh my gosh. I'm coming to class. Yeah. So we're dealing with the whole spectrum. And, and that's exciting because again, as a teacher, it really teaches you to be present. Now, the population that I tend to get at prenatal yoga center, PYC, we call it, tends to be a student that may not have a ton of yoga experience. Towards, I'd say, mid-pregnancy, we get those that are just saying like, all I'm doing is modifying in my open level or whatever classes, so I might as well come into a prenatal class. So in the beginning, it tends to be someone that doesn't have a lot of experience towards the end. They just don't want to keep modifying. Because I was that person. I was trying to stay in my anger classes for way too long. Okay. And I was just like the freak in the corner um, that was just modifying everything. But our classes layer in so much childbirth education that okay. once the student that might have been like, oh, it's prenatal, it's just going to be easy, which it's not. Then they start to appreciate all those tidbits of knowledge as Mm -hmm. well as the community Mm -hmm. because pregnancy and parenthood, you know, we're not supposed to be doing this by ourselves and, and having other people that can show up and be like, I really want this baby, but I'm feeling kind of awful today or whatever, you know, like I'm feeling overwhelmed. My back hurts. Mm -hmm. My partner's pissing me off. Whatever it is, like having, having Having that support is super important. And so the the class itself is based on the poses. What are what poses are we can we do that can bring balance to the bony pelvis, to the pelvic floor, to the pelvic ligaments? Because when a body is better aligned, the baby's more likely to be better aligned in the uterus. And when the baby is better aligned in the uterus and the head is pushing into the cervix functionally, that is when labors go along quicker. It's wow. those labors that are hours and hours, like 24, 30, 40 hours. It's often because the baby is misaligned or slightly malpositioned in utero. And that can be the psoas is tight. That can be the sacrum is a little bit unstable. And that is pulling on the sacrum as we know, you know, you're a yoga teacher with Mm -hmm. a lot of anatomy. How much attaches to that sacrum, the Mm -hmm. glutes, the piriformis, Mm -hmm. so many important ligaments. When the sacrum's off, that can throw the whole inner landscape of the pelvis off. And so we can look at what poses can we do to create stability in the pelvis, in the pelvic floor, in the pelvic ligaments. So that birth is not days and days. It just leaves somebody exhausted. So Mm. it's about can the poses help the baby out instead of just modifying poses. 
That's awesome. And I was just going to ask that question. So like, how does a prenatal yoga class look different than just showing up to a standard class and modifying? So it's really laid out specifically for the pregnant body. Well, I mean, mine are, I can't speak for all, okay. you know, because I think there's just like a vinyasa class is going to be different depending on who's teaching it. Right. So my class is the structure, I'd say looks a lot like an Ohm yoga class is what Cindy taught me. So we okay. always, we actually start with, this is different than Ohm. We start with circle time where I want to hear what's going on. I know. I actually I'm love all it about too. circles. Like I love <laughs> sitting in a circle and talking. <laughs> well, right now it's on a Zoom box. So we go around yes. the, the Brady Bunch box. It's a so virtual circle. <laughs> it's a virtual circle. So right now um, I call on people and in the past it would be they say their names. So I call on someone, they say what week they are, how far along they are, any aches, pains, issues, or requests so that I can know what's going on with their body. You know, someone saying my sacrum's off, or I'm having symphysis pubic dysfunction, or my back hurts, or whatever, or I have a cesarean, a scheduled cesarean coming up, and I'm stressed mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. I can hear all the individual needs, and then I can create the class for what the class needs. Mm -hmm. So after circle time, we do a little restorative just to connect with the breath. We do some relaxation techniques, which are great for birth, and it gives me a moment to think about what I'm going to teach. <laughs> and then, mm -hmm. then I do, this is the ohm influence, and I do like a little dharma talk, which is kind of interweaving a theme and that's always going to be something childbirth ed related and then we just do we start with like a warm-up some sort of seated warm-up and address immediately the shoulders because the pregnant body tends to be more caved in more kyphosis okay and is so that because I, it's just like you have something literally in front of you kind of pulling you forward yes and no so the whole spine changes so you have your natural s curves the lumbar the thoracic the cervical and as the belly gets bigger it pulls the back into more of that lordosis mm -hmm. and then because the lower back's in more lordosis the upper back reacts with kyphosis we get that shoulder rounding in and then the cervical spine you get like that little chicken neck with the chin yeah. sticking forward Hold so every yeah and especially all of us are like at computers and texting and it gets yeah. really tight. Driving, so yeah. Driving, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so after a bit of a vinyasa, a little warm up, a seated vinyasa, I always like to throw downward dog in before we get moving. I feel like down dog is such a litmus test of people's practice mm -hmm. because when you can look at their dog, you have a sense of where they are in their practice. Yep. Yep. And then if I'm going to be flowing the poses and their dogs are a hot mess, I don't want to just breeze past it. Because if you breeze yeah. past it, you're kind of telling them, oh, you're doing it correctly. Yeah. So I get a dog in just to see if I need to take a beat and talk about it more. I love that. And that kind of circles back to like what we learned from Shiva, right? Is like yeah. the vinyasa krama yeah. and being able to observe, well, where are they? And yeah, you're right. Looking at someone's tabletop even or downward dog will tell you a lot. Yeah, you can see, are they like in their shoulders? Yeah. Are is their back all rounded? What's going on? So I do yeah. a quick dog check and then I get them <laughs> and then I get them to the front of their mat. And it's a good half an hour of vinyasa, sometimes like probably closer to 40 minutes of vinyasa flow. And I usually okay. get about three waves in. That's such the Shiva thing. Like we do the foundational wave, and then we're at the top of the mat and we do something. Then we do another wave and we're top of the mat and we do something. So the waves are just like any vinyasa, you know, you do your right side, you do some sort of on all fours like where we're not doing chaturanga up dog we'll do okay. something on all fours and then we'll do the left side then we're back at the front of the mat so i'll do about 40 minutes of flow and that's what you'd see in a normal class you know your warrior ones your warrior twos your triangle you know and i really want them to feel safe sensation mm -hmm. because if i'm going to talk about coping skills in the beginning I want them not just to 
mentally be like, yes, I'm going to breathe. I'm going to count. I'm going to have a mantra. I want them to then take that and be safely uncomfortable and build that so that they can apply it because birth is challenging no matter what no matter how medicated unmedicated cesarean it's hard yeah and so i want to build that tolerance to raise their threshold for feeling uncomfortable and i think that's good for everything for everyone for everything so i love that you said safe sensation and you're really teaching someone that some sensation's good and then what sensation you might want to look into further, right? right? So how are you speaking about this in your classes? How are you teaching them the difference and how to tune in? I'll talk about like sharp pains. Like, are you feeling yeah. joint pain? You know, cause we don't want, you know, back pain's normal for pregnancy, but are you feeling this in your sacrum? Are you feeling sharp pain in the front of the pubis? Are you feeling pain in your knees? So I talk mm-hmm. about more joint pain mm-hmm. and then I talk about, muscle endurance. I'm like a little burn. If you're okay, I'm okay. But then we also on the flip side, talk about stretch because some people, their wheelhouse is hanging out in warrior two. Like they could sit and do their taxes and just let their quads take it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that is not me. Um, And then you ask that same person to try to open their hamstrings and they're screaming bloody murder. Yeah. So we want to learn how to be within a stretch, but you also want to know what is a safe stretch. So again, is it right at the insertion? So is it in the belly of the muscle and the, you know, in the hamstring, or is it right at your sit bone? Like, I don't want to hurt the insertion point. So again, yeah. yeah, So I want to be mindful of, does it feel like it is a safe sensation? Does it feel like it's in the belly of the muscle? Do you feel like you're tearing something? We want to back away from the the tearing sensation. And then ultimately that they make the choices of what they want to do in their body. And as I always say, you know, I'm offering the suggestions, but you make the choices. And I think that's so important for birth because a lot of people go into a hospital or a birth center and they just kind of give themselves to the process and they can lose their autonomy. And the birthing process, the paradigm in our country is not one of offering too much autonomy. It's really kind of like, we're going to do this, you know, and you're going to go along how the hospital wants. So I want them to really be in their body and make decisions about what's best for them so that if they can exercise that muscle on the mat, it can hopefully then bring confidence to exercise that muscle as a parent during their birth. So, and then, and then we kind of go down the other side of the mountain after the standing series, you know, cool down with some floor stuff, some hip stuff, and then Shavasana. Yeah. That was a very long winded answer. No, it's amazing. It's really powerful. And I know that it's helpful for a lot of the yoga teachers that listen in is to really get an understanding and an idea, like what is the difference truly between Well, we're not doing deep back bends, um, you know, we're being mindful. We're not doing deep twists. Um, we don't do, yeah, because yeah. there's a baby um, yep. in the way. Um, yep. So we don't do deep twists. We kind of twist more of the upper body Open. above the bra strap. Well, it can even be closed if there's space. Like you okay. can do a Pravrita Trikonasana if the feet are wide enough and you use maybe two blocks yeah. so that the belly moves past the thigh, if that yeah. makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Bring the floor up higher. We're not doing arm balances again because most of our students in the beginning don't have a lot of yoga experience. Plus, I feel like that Uddiyana Banda and Mula Banda is not ideal. Like, so I remember when I studied with Leslie Howard, she was saying about 40% of yoga practitioners have too much tone in their pelvic floor. And mm. that can be it's like, if you hear everyone's like Mula Banda, Mula Banda, engage that yeah. lock. If we don't have suppleness and kind of bounciness in that pelvic floor, that can be problematic. So 
So the constant um, tightening, the constant activating and causes, like you said, over time, too much tone. And then you're not able to like soften and relax into it as well. Exactly. And that's why a lot of people, if they have incontinence, like, oh, I better just keep Kegeling where that can actually make it worse. You need that balance. It needs to be springy. Mm. So yeah, that's where we do differ. We're not doing deep back bends. We're not doing super deep twists. We're not doing arm balances. Um, very little inversions. So again, because most of the students, that's not the place to teach if they've never done a headstand. I'm not about to teach it to someone with all that relaxing in their body, especially on Zoom, where I can't really yeah, see it as well. It's not necessary. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I look at the the pros and cons, like what are they getting out of this pose? Is it helpful? Is it hindering them? If it's about an intention of a certain aspect, can I find that same intention in something else? I think the whole practice is just a different intention. I love that. If you aren't already a member, I'd love for you to join me in the free private Facebook group for yoga teachers. Just simply search Yoga Teacher Circle on Facebook. Most of these episodes are recorded live in the Facebook group where you can ask questions in real time and connect with the Yoga Teacher Circle community. Now, back to the episode. From what you just shared, I also want to look at like, what's the list of benefits that someone can receive during prenatal yoga and doing it for part of their pregnancy or the whole pregnancy besides what you just shared, which is so important is to learn about sensation and to feel empowered to understand what's moving through your body and how it talks to you and how to listen. That is huge. That's very, very important. So what else is someone receiving well, there is practice. the coping skills. I definitely think that is going to be mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think, as we mentioned before, community. It's just so important to have an understanding of what's going on. And then the education. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, research is saying that there's less and less people taking childbirth education classes. Mm-hmm. So if you, or at least formal ones, you know, a lot of people just kind of look on Google or they'll okay. talk to family YouTube. members. <laughs> yeah, YouTube. And there's definitely some things about that. But if you don't know your choices, you don't have choices. So if you walk in saying, I'll do whatever you say, that can actually be traumatizing. There's research done that people that were educated about the one study I read is about induction. So they were educated about induction. They were able to choose yes or no. They were able to be involved in the decision-making. They showed far less trauma postpartum than those that just were told what to do. And we're seeing these huge statistics of perinatal and mood and anxiety disorder. And some of it stems from how the birth experience went. I did a, an article on this years ago, so I don't have all the stats at the top of my head, but the way people were describing their birth was higher level of birth trauma from the emotional point of the birthing parent was higher than people said they felt after 9-11 in New York City. Like wow. the, the percentage of people was higher. It was wow. insane. People were describing their births as barbaric, as wow. traumatizing, as terrifying. And if and you don't this in a hospital setting, yeah, it's in the hospital, all setting. In a hospital setting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can get you the article. Yeah. And so that, that will have the stats, but it's showing that, and I don't think any doctors out there like, Oh, I'm going to try to, you know, be challenging. Like, I don't think anyone goes into medicine with that intent, that but, is, I, yeah. but I think it's what's happening is a lot of the hospitals are, you know, they're for profit. They're trying to get people through and the focus isn't on the birthing parent. And we know even racial disparities, even worse when it comes to birth for folks of color. So 
if we can help people find their voice and have a foundation of education, they're going to know their options in a way that they may not if they don't have that. So I really think the autonomy and education is in the forefront of what they can get out of this. And just the knowledge that they have a right to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And then all the other good stuff like balance in the body and learning how to relax the pelvic floor. We talk mm-hmm. about the transverse abdominals mm-hmm. and how we can use that to push. We're mm-hmm. dealing with their aches and pains. The breathing. So, breathing. The breathing. Oh yeah, my gosh. That's, that's like the foundation one. of it all. Yeah. yeah so I think it. it's I almost don't know why people don't if they're pregnant take prenatal yoga. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's it's necessary for every person, truly. Yeah. So how can certain yoga poses leave someone in more pain or cause imbalance during pregnancy? Mm. That's a great question. And this actually came up in our teacher training over the fall that we had a student, she was pregnant during our teacher training, and she okay. actually had sacroiliac pain. And it was pretty easy to figure out. But a lot of yoga students and teachers think if I have a pain, I should just keep stretching it out. I should yep. just keep stretching. Let's just stretch yep. that out. And sometimes that can make it worse. Yep. And when it comes to sacroiliac pain, especially, we you know those deeper external rotations, like the more those thigh bones are externally rotated out and pressing down, that can really crunch the sacrum. So when we do a lot of deep external rotation, we don't go as deep for someone with SI and we modify. So like warrior one, we want more stability in the pelvis. So we're not trying to yank that back hip forward. We're going shorter and wider. So mm. the pelvis is more balanced. So the teacher trainee felt great during pigeon because that gets the pair Piriformis. And mm. the piriformis attaches from the greater trochanter to the sacrum. So that could be a culprit in SI pain. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with something like pigeon is it feels great while you're getting that piriformis stretch, but it's almost like a warrior one pelvis. You have one leg with the pelvis anteriorly tipped and one leg with the pelvis posteriorly tipped. So you're yeah. getting that asymmetry in the pelvis and that can really pinch the SI joint. So not knowing what to do with SI pain can leave someone in more pain. Not mm-hmm. knowing what to do with symphysis pubis dysfunction, where the pubis is either shearing or separating, people think, well, I should just open those inner thighs and keep stretching and stretching, Mm -hmm. moving those thigh bones further away. And that can create a more problem in the pubis. So I think stepping in and kind of looking at, is it stability I need? Or is it actually a stretch? Or is it a combo of creating stability and then exploring Mm -hmm. flexibility? And how about strengthening as well? Oh my gosh, strengthening is so important, especially that posterior chain. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people get what I call like the mom butt, where it's like a little flat tissue. And (laughs) if we have that flat butt and the glutes don't have support, that sacrum can be wonky. That pelvic floor can try to step in. The psoas tries to come to the rescue because the whole back body is needing help. So yeah, we do a lot of posterior chain work. Yeah, that's awesome. So if someone's having SI pain and they feel really good in a pigeon pose, but it's actually not doing much good, would you have them avoid it or would you prop it up and just go into less? No, I, I avoid pigeon okay. for my SI friends. So what okay. I'll have them do is, um, some people call it agnus ambasana. I call it ankle to knees. Just or some people like double pigeon. Double pigeon, yeah. And it gets the piriformis beautifully. Mm. And sometimes I'll even take a tennis ball and kind of roll on the piriformis. There's so many other ways Mm -hmm. 
to How about get reclined, the reclined pigeon? Like on the back, like a figure four? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah at a certain point, you don't want them too flat. And at certain the point, there's on the back. And then yeah. there's certain point, there's just a lot of belly to try yeah. to get there. Safe <laughs> and reach. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so I find that, I find if you can really find an anterior tilt in double pigeon with See, a yeah. lifted spine, because a lot of us will come to a forward bend and round, and then mm -hmm. we're just tucking the tail and we lose that piriformis. So if you can release the tailbone and sit bones back and really hinge at the hips instead of sink at the chest, mm -hmm. you can get a lot of juicy piriformis stretch. Mm, great. That's awesome. That's really good to know. So that kind of leads us into my next question. If, and I know we've all experienced this as yoga teachers. So if I'm teaching a public yoga class, I've never gone through prenatal training, but I might know a couple little tips. Then you get the pregnant student that walks in and they're like, this is my first yoga class, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, wow, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> what kind of things do you have for the yoga teacher to um, think about in that moment? Oh, there's so much to unpack there because... <laughs> I know. This I is a loaded being, question. It is because I remember being that teacher. Like yeah. I remember from my Bikram training where they did like nothing. Okay. And if I think back to my the Bikram poses, like there's a good section that you're on your belly. There's like a point where people before they pop where they just look a little mushy. Yeah. And if you don't know that person, you don't know that they're looking mushy. You're just like, that's their body. And it mm -hmm. wasn't until after that she's like, oh, I'm 18 weeks pregnant. I, this still haunts me. This is like 25 years later. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. So first of all, you don't know what you don't know. And yeah. you also have to expect that if a pregnant student who doesn't know yoga yeah. walks into an open level class, some of that has to fall on them. It's on them. Yeah. It, there is something saying, you know, it is on them. It's like, I wouldn't sign up for a marathon if I've never really run before. Like that's on me to, I know. <laughs> to make and that it's, choice. It's crazy because it happens all the time. Yeah. So it's a bit on them, but then yeah. the teacher is like, I so want to help you. What I would say is admit what you don't know. And I actually have found liberation in that. And it mm -hmm. took me a while to get there because mm -hmm. I didn't want to look stupid. And so sometimes I'd kind of like BS my way through. And then I realized that's not helping anyone. I'm creating false trust. I don't know if what I'm saying is correct. And then I'm putting myself on the line. So I think for that teacher that has the new student that's like seven months pregnant, like, hi, what do you want to do with me? They <laughs> I'm in your hands. Yeah. They should say, I will do the best I can. I yeah. don't have prenatal training, but let's work together and let me see how I can help you. But this is not a prenatal class. And we'll just see where we can go. And I think that's probably the best you can do that way. The, the expectation is set. Yeah. Teacher doesn't have that foundation. They're in an open level class and they're just going to try to do it together. Because what tends to happen is then the teacher ends up just like making the whole class about the pregnant person or they that. ignore that pregnant person because they're like freaked out by you. Yeah. So I think just admitting what you don't know. And then if they're interested, then they just dive in and, and so they can arm themselves with a little bit more information. Yeah, I love that. It's so important to be honest and to actually say, you know what, I don't know, I don't have the answers. And I'm, I'm like you, I used to kind of fake my way through. And now I'll say like, I don't actually know. And I don't want to just make something up. Right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really, really helping. Mm -hmm. It's not helping. And I actually, I started to find my footing and my groundedness during teacher training where people would ask me something because I was leading it and to expect me yeah. to answer. Yep. And then it just felt so good to be like, you know, I don't know that. Let's yeah. look into it. Yeah. 
that's exactly the same for me. Once I started leading YTTs is when I started to say, like, I don't actually have the answer, right? Like, I'm also learning. Let's find out together, though. Yeah. I think that's exciting. Absolutely. Okay, so let's switch gears now to postnatal. Mm, I love postnatal. Postnatal. Yeah. So like, I personally don't have any kids. I haven't uh, experienced pregnancy yet in my life. But when I think about getting pregnant and afterwards, there is some fear about postpartum depression personally, Mm, because I know that myself, I can easily get depressed in my life. And especially if I'm not, you know, taking care of myself and using all my tools. What are some of the challenges that someone goes through postnatal? And how does postnatal yoga actually help serve them? I think, you know, so I was saying community when it comes to prenatal, I actually feel like it's even more necessary postpartum. Okay. And first of all, it's a huge identity shift. Um, there's this thing called matrescence. It's that cross from maiden to motherhood. And mm-hmm. it, like, I can't tell you how many podcasts I've done on that, read about it, talked about it. It is a massive identity shift from here I am pretty much responsible for myself and now I'm responsible for keeping this little meatloaf alive. Because that's what they feel like they're in the beginning. They go, little meatloaf. I I love my two little meatloafs, but they're they're a little blob in the beginning. (laughs) And it's a huge, and you know, they don't come with like as many baby books as you read. Every baby's different. All the births are going to be different. And then someone might have an identity with their job, which they may choose not to go back to, or they're at least taking a vacation from that. If they're partnered, their relationship with their partner changes. Like everything changes. And then there can be isolation. You know, you're not taking a brand newborn out right away, especially now during COVID, you know, and and depending on where you live, like, so my kids, I had a summer baby and a winter baby and my winter baby, I was stuck at home. And I remember like standing in my windows in New York city, like looking out, be like, there's a world going on out there and I'm not part of it. And it just was, it was so isolating. And there were times I would just like make up a reason to go to Whole Foods just to like get out of the house and see other people. And so I feel like the community and the support is paramount. So we still do circle time. We still want people to connect. And that could be the first time all day that someone's talking to an adult. So if their partner may go back to work, family is left, and they're just trying to figure it out. So there's the emotional side that we really try to attend to. And then physically, a lot has to do with how the birth was. But physically, there's a lot of rebuilding. It could be pelvic floor, it can be the abs, again, that whole back body has changed and often atrophied, the spine has changed, because we had these big spinal curves, and all of a sudden babies out, and the body's trying to find its center again. If someone chooses to breastfeed, there's a lot of caving in and wrist issues with whole holding the baby a lot and feeding the baby. There's fatigue. I mean, those babies eat a lot, often at night. Um, You're just not sleeping. (laughs) You're not sleeping and it is brutal. So there's, there's a lot. I actually feel like the postpartum person needs a little bit more protection of space and holding the space for them. And I will say as much as I knew this intellectually, this was an eye opener for me once I went through it. Not saying again, you can't be an excellent postpartum and baby me teacher, but I think I had a different sense, a different empathy for that journey and that emotional place that is felt. I was sideswiped by how hard 
what my body went through and just the adjustment. I thought I had been doing this for 10 years at that point. I had been a doula. I had attended over 100 births. I was shocked by how hard the whole thing was. Just by feeling it yourself and actually experiencing it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you experience postpartum depression? I didn't. I tend to go more towards anxiety, if anything. Okay. And oddly, I felt, I think I was overwhelmed. I mean, yeah. I know I was overwhelmed because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And my body, because my first birth was 42 hours. It was just a beast. And my pelvic floor was a hot mess, my abs. Wow. I mean, it was just, I was left like a train wreck. So yeah. my focus was how quickly can I get into a physical therapist Okay. and work with that PT. And then I had a clogged duct and that was horrible. Wow. Yeah. So my first, my second was a lot easier. Um, okay. I mean, I pushed for six minutes. That was delightful. Wow. Um, <laughs> and is that, do you feel like because the experience from your first, you kind of like I did everything differently. Different. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. I learned my mistakes. Ooh, okay. I learned my mistakes. Okay. Um, and I changed a lot of my habits, but also statistically second time births are quicker, but that was quite different. What kind of habits did you change? I got off my spin bike. Um, I was an avid spinner. So I know now, and I didn't know quite as much about this that time on my teaching trajectory, how much the psoas has to play into this. Okay. So the psoas basically cradles the uterus. So it runs, you know, from the lesser trochanter behind the uterus up to T12. And when we think of cycling, 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 what it does to the pelvic floor, what it does to the sacrum, what it does to the psoas. So my son, his spine was forward, but his head, as we call it, asynclitic. So his head was tilted. So okay. his the side of his head was trying to open up the cervix. And it was taking a very long time. Things were very imbalanced. So my midwife, my doula were like shifting me around, trying to get the baby re-engaged and his head okay. back down. And wow. in hindsight, I'm like, okay, my psoas was super tight and I already have scoliosis. So I'm sure there was some imbalance and I'm sure mm -hmm. all that cycling, my pelvic floor was probably super tight. And again, I was a dancer. So I was always lifted up. I yeah. think a lot of that had to, you know, still doing strength training. So I think there's about moderation. Could I still have been on the bike? Sure. Would it have been better if it wasn't every day? Probably would have been better if I coupled that with some physical therapy to help create that balance with some acupuncture, with some chiropractic to make sure everything was balanced. Mm -hmm. So I learned mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I didn't do the same mistake twice. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, wow. It's so interesting to think about all the things that play in. There's yeah. so many different things to think about. Yeah. I'm learning a lot for when I have a baby. Like, wow, this is I so got amazing. You covered. <laughs> yeah, I'll be calling you. <laughs> so that's awesome. Okay, I want to shift a little bit now into leading your teacher trainings. What led you to actually creating uh, your prenatal yoga teacher training? And what does that look like? How many hours is it? Oh, it's I love I love doing it. So I did it because I needed teachers. Yeah. Um, I opened this studio pretty much by myself. And then I okay. slowly gather teachers. And then I realized I was starting to create a bit of a methodology. It wasn't just, awesome. oh, are you certified? I've created this methodology of we're going to deal with the pelvic floor. We're going to talk about the TA muscles can help with pushing. We're going to interweave childbirth ed. So I created a methodology that I wanted everyone to show up. And it's not like Bikram where it's a script, but it's more like at Ohm, you show up for, well, it's not there anymore, Ohm yoga, but when it was, like you'd show up for an Ohm class with Cindy and there'd be a certain structure. Again, it was individual to the teacher, 
but you'd know what to expect. You know, yeah. you have that sense of what this style represents. And so I wanted- There's a consistency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like, you know, a potpourri, like well, this person teaches this and this person teaches that. Got so it. I wanted some consistency and some similar messaging. And so I created this methodology and I needed teachers. And this was before Yoga Alliance was really doing its thing. Because I remember okay. sitting at a talk back in, I was at Yoga Union forever ago while they were making up the 80, five hour. Interesting. <laughs> they, oddly, they don't require any sort of childbirth ed part to be in there. So my Very training, yeah, which seems strange. Yeah. So my training is now done over two long weekends and it's about 70 hours of in-person time. And we do it a hybrid of online. This always been even before COVID. So I okay. created this thing called the membership site. So basically the whole training, so they get their manual and videos and some of my podcasts. So the videos correspond with the teaching manual okay. and they get access to this a month before our first meeting. Because what I noticed, mm -hmm. if they can get the information, especially the anatomy beforehand, and they're responsible for diving in and learning it, and then when we meet, it's just a review, it tends to sink in better than just showing up and, and you know, anatomy is dense. It's huge, yeah. It's huge. So they get the membership man the membership site with the videos, the podcasts, homework, and the manual a month ahead. Mm -hmm. So they're responsible for studying module one and two. Mm -hmm. And then we meet and then we can go so much deeper. And yeah. then they so that first weekend is anatomy and structure in your class. And then they're up teaching. Like they are yes. teaching that first weekend. Cause it's fine to think so about important. it, but you gotta yep. get it out. I and, I literally throw my 200 hour YTT into teaching on day two. As well, you should like, that's amazing. Yes. Cause yes. I can't tell you how many teachers I get that finish to 200 and they're like, well, we didn't really teach. It's bizarre. It blows my mind. I don't get it. No, they're like, are you going to tell us what to teach? I'm like, are you going to go into a class and have your students to like, no, you need, yeah, to, yeah. you need to know how to sequence. Yeah. So then they have another month between our first and second weekend where they go back and they work on module three and four. Mm -hmm. And then we do another weekend together. And then okay. they have a month to record a class of them teaching a full class, cool. send it in. Cause I need, I can't just say like, sure you're certified without seeing For a sure. whole class. And they have a final exam, a written exam they have to pass. Okay. It's deep, like, and there's homework and there's books. It's intense, but I'm Good. telling you, they walk out with support and knowledge and it's exciting. And they're ready. They and got they're it. They're ready, yeah. Yeah, you prepare them. It's super thrive. exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting to see that growth. Mm, I love that. That's awesome. So backtracking a minute, how long ago did you open your yoga studio? 19 years ago. 19 years ago. Wow. So yeah. I'm just curious too, right? During COVID, like how has that been? The challenges? Are you back in person yet? Where are you at with it all? All right. So we're in New York City. Yeah. And we just got the okay about two or three weeks ago to go back in person at 33% capacity. 33%. Which is like not a lot. So like how um, many so students my... would that be? Eight. Wow. And how many can you fit? I mean, we can fit 28 mats in there, but that's super close together. So yeah. if we're going to do six feet apart, we can fit eight, eight. plus wow. the teacher. Yeah. So 
I, I remember, I saw this coming. I remember watching this whole thing unfold. My husband and I listened to NPR like crazy people. And so I okay. remember in January of 2020, hearing this thing going on in China and then hearing it out in Seattle. And I'm like, holy crazy, it's going to get into New York. It's absolutely going to get into New yeah. York. Yeah. And so I was starting to do hybrid classes at the beginning of March. So I was already starting Zoom. So classes. you were like preparing for it. Yeah. In okay. fact, I, I went back recently, looked at my Amazon um, and I'm like in February, I was ordering like 30 bottles of like those disinfectant wipes. Like. Wow. Yeah. So you just knew. I yeah. saw it coming. And wow. so I started to do in-person classes with my computer next to me on Zoom. So I was like teaching to my students there and teaching mm -hmm. to my students there. And then on March 13th, it was just done. I remember leaving the studio and being like, all right, we'll see what happens. And then on my way back out of the city, I get a call from my kid's school that they're closed. And I'm like, oh, let's see what happens. And so that Monday, we opened up on Zoom. I had it ready. It was through my, I mean, I had my body already set up and it was, I had Zoom set up. I knew how to do it. I harvested yeah. the emails. I sent it out and we've been running online. And you know, I feel a little guilty for saying this, but we're kind of thriving. Okay. Um, no, that's awesome. I was going to ask, like, how has it been? And have you had fear of like so losing your space? I did not lose my space. My yeah. landlord worked with me on a little bit of a rent reduction. I have a physical therapist in there once a week. I also had a learning pod rent my space wow. uh, twice a week. Wow. So that cut my rent in half. Now the learning wow. pods back out, they're done. But between the teacher trainings and I mean, we now have people all over the country, all over the world taking class. Wow. And then one thing we also do, we re-release the classes. So we do live classes at 10 every day. Okay. And then I re-release that at one in five. And wow. so that one class fits three classes in. That's awesome. That's very smart. Thanks. And yeah. then I'm the one doing, I had to unfortunately furlough a lot of my teachers and some just yeah. left. Some were like, I'm just not doing this anymore. And okay. so I have um, a small team of three other teachers, mm -hmm. um, but I'm teaching the majority. So that also keeps the cost down because my goal is to keep the space and open again. And I thought about this. I'm like, do I close it? Am I the idiot for keeping the space? But I knew that if I closed the space, I wouldn't reopen it. And I really yeah. want to have this continue. Yeah. And if you think about it, like in your long-term vision, you envision having this back there. space. Yeah. So it's just getting through this time. That's just what I kept thinking. Like, just do what I have to do to get through this. Mm -hmm. And it's it's worked out. It's really the re-releases. And I hope those that are listening to this, if they're still doing Zoom classes, take that idea. Because yeah, brilliant. if it's just like, I teach the 10, I release my own class for one and then five. I get, you know, and people are paying the same price for it. Yeah. And it just creates spaciousness and more income. So I hope other people, I hope others are doing that. It's so brilliant. we're gonna we're gonna keep the the hybrid. So once we slowly reopen, because it can okay. be slow, because like why take away what's working? We're gonna super slowly reopen. Yep. Yep. I'm always gonna have some just online classes and then hybrid where they can tune in through Zoom and I'm teaching in the studio. Mm -hmm. So that's the that. bigger goal. And your teacher training is fully online. The pre fully online. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. We've done five teacher trainings during COVID. Wow. And that's amazing. Full. I mean, we, we so, cap it at 15, but 15, it's been, yeah. So it's still an intimate group. 
but that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They've been full and it's, yeah. I just finished my last one on Sunday. I'm like, Ooh, that was a lot. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. That's awesome. I've created one training program to be online and that's my trauma informed YTT. So that one is my first one I've done online. It's been working great. It really has. In fact, some of it's a little better, like the Zoom breakout rooms. I'm like, this is awesome. brilliant. Because yes. otherwise they're like in different corners of the studio trying to teach in small groups, kind of hearing each other. I love the Zoom breakout rooms. It's amazing. Yeah, it works perfectly. So that's awesome. Good for you. I'm glad mm. that you're thriving because that's a huge deal. So I'm really happy for that. Thanks. Yeah. yeah I, I sometimes I feel guilty saying that because I know it's, oh. it's not all studios are having that chance. For sure. And it is sad. It is heartbreaking, you know, but you've also put the work in and um, it's showing, right? So that's awesome. Okay. So I always like to ask my guests this question. What are your top three non-negotiables for your own self-care to fill up your own cup so that you can show up, do what you do, serve your community? Mm, sleep. I, yeah. I need to sleep. Oh, my husband will tell you that. If I don't sleep, I'm just, I'm a little mean. That is me. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> sleep, 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 sleep. And then the other two, I'm back on my Pelotons. <laughs> okay, awesome. I, I love to sweat. Like yeah. I just love to work out hard and sweat. And that way I can then use my yoga practice as an exploration on the mat. It's okay. not about exercise. It's, I just love, in fact, I'd say COVID has given me more time to get on the mat and explore with my own home practice. I do miss my anger classes at the Institute. Oh my gosh, I yeah. miss those. But my non-negotiables is I have to do yoga because mm -hmm. it's my, I call that my mental vacation. Mm -hmm. I, I need to, it's like, it's like, I, my students, <laughs> my students know I say this. I call my mat, my lily pad. It's like, yes. <laughs> I'm into it's that. like it's like it's it's floating where I don't want anyone to get at me. <laughs> yeah, so I'm that. on my lily pad with my mental vacation. Mm -hmm. So I need that. I need to sleep and I need to sweat. Perfect. I'm with you on all of those. That's awesome. <laughs> so where can people find you and connect with you? What's your Instagram, your website, your Facebook? Okay, so they can connect to my Instagram at prenatal yoga center. Very unoriginal, but that's what it is. Prenatal Yoga Center. Call it like it is. Yeah, call it like it is. Um, Facebook is Prenatal Yoga Center. Our website is prenatalyogacenter.com. That's the that's the advantage of starting all this awesome. so long ago. Yes. <laughs> and, and then, then your I, podcast. Oh, it's called Yoga Birth Babies. Yep. And then I actually, so I've got the big teacher training, the 85 hours for people that really want to dive in. But then I also have a course for, you know, we were talking about that teacher that doesn't know what they're doing with the pregnant person. I created an online course just for that. So it's called Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi? I and love that, that name, by the way, that's incredible. Well, that's my homage to my theater background. Who's afraid it's, of Virginia Woolf? Yeah, okay. It's also like, call it like it is. Yeah, because they see that pregnant yogi, they're like, holy craziness. What do yeah. I do? Yeah. So who's afraid of the pregnant yogi? It's self-guided. It's online. It's five. I think you get five Yoga Alliance credits for that. Okay. It's five units. It's part of, I have a Facebook group with it and awesome. they can take themselves through it. It gives them the foundation to understand the anatomical and physiological changes and things to avoid, things to encourage, how to modify for a class. And then I have the follow-up of teaching the postnatal student, which is the same idea. Amazing. So, cause hopefully they get that pregnant person back after. Yeah. 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 And so, so where can they find that? 
who's afraid the pregnant yogi.com or from my website and teaching the postnatal student.com. So both of those, they can find that. Brilliant. I love it. Oh my goodness. This was awesome. I am so glad I had you on today. This episode is going to be amazing. I just loved learning more about you and your story and everything you're doing is so powerful. It's so important. So thank you so much for coming on to the yoga teacher circle podcast. It was awesome, Deb. Thank you so much. I had such a great time. Thank you so much for listening in today. I'd love to stay connected with you in between episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Taylor underscore Ray Yoga and join the free private Yoga Teacher Circle Facebook group, which is full of some pretty awesome and badass yoga teachers. 